0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com, that's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. I am Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 134 of the Sustainable Minimalists Podcast. On today's show, my guest and I are introducing eight actionable strategies, complete with eight quick wins to simplify parenthood. Now, simplify parenthood, that sounds like a big lofty goal, right? Is it even possible to simplify parenthood? Well, my guest today says, yes, it is. If you are a parent and if you are like me, you may feel as though you are always on call, right? You're always on call to fix whatever problem your child may experience. Maybe you are constantly stepping in to fix the fights between siblings, or maybe you feel as though you have to fix the boredom, especially during COVID where they're home all day and they've already played all the games and exhausted all the toys in the house. Maybe you feel as though your job is boredom buster. Maybe you feel as though it's your job to fix interpersonal conflicts your children may be having with their friends. It is exhausting, right? Particularly because being a fixer is a never-ending job. My guest today is Sue Groner. Sue is a parenting expert and a mentor and an author who is on the show to let us all off the hook. Sue argues that it is entirely possible to simplify parenthood by adopting a facilitator mindset and letting go of the fixer one. Sue also brings with her some strategies from her new book. They are strategies that I have handpicked to discuss because they are quite minimalist in their philosophies. Enjoy the interview. Sue, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss parenting tips During a pandemic and always, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Nobody really ever asked me that, but I appreciate it. I was really drawn to your book because I'm all about finding ways to take the stress and the difficulty, if it's even possible, out of parenting, and your book gives 101 I can't believe it, 101 tips on how to do just that. We can't touch on all 101. We can't even touch on a fraction of them. But I do have a couple tips that you mentioned in your book that really resonated with me and I think will really resonate with my audience. Before we even get to them, I have a very pressing question (laughs) that's been on my mind, and it is, Is it even possible to parent with sanity and joy during a pandemic? Definitely.
1: It definitely is. But it takes a little, you know, mental readjustment. And what I like to say all the time, pandemic or no pandemic, parenting is not an 18-year engineering project. And the reason I say that is because we can't engineer children. You know, we try. We want them to be a certain way and act a certain way and perform a certain way, and yet that never works out, and it just causes conflict and disappointment and frustration and all the things that don't give us sanity and don't provide our kids with sanity either. So if we can stop doing that and think about raising our kids to be resilient, self-reliant kids with good problem-solving skills and good coping mechanisms everyone's going to be so much happier. And what happens with us as parents, all of a sudden, the things that we're constantly worried about and wanting to fix and wanting to make sure that, you know, that school is perfect and they're learning exactly what they should be doing and all those little details, they sort of fall by the wayside. And we then can look at all these sort of adversarial issues and problems, feelings as opportunities for our kids to develop. These problem-solving skills and coping mechanisms to become more resilient and self-reliant.
0: Mm. It sounds like what I hear you saying is that in many cases, a hands-off approach is better. And that brings me to the first tip that I really wanted to talk to you about today because it's one that I struggle with with my young daughters. And that is to do nothing. I think what you meant by that is don't interfere. Can you explain that?
1: Um, It it can mean a lot of different things. When your kids are arguing with each other, you know, that whole sibling rivalry thing, that's a great time to do nothing, especially when you hear them arguing or they come running to you. I always say the best response to, mommy, she hit me, or mommy, she took my toy, is, oh, okay. Hmm. And that's it. Not... Well, why or not? No questions, no getting, no interfering, no getting involved. The more that we get involved, the more we're feeding into our kids wanting to see who the parent likes more or cares more for. And it sets up this sort of vicious cycle sometimes too, because one kid knows how to rile up the other kid. And then the other kid gets riled up and reacts in a way maybe that they shouldn't. And then that other child comes running and gets Mm -hmm. the love and the attention and the other kid gets in trouble. But if we don't feed into that, it stops happening because no one's getting the response that they want. And so that's a great explanation for doing nothing. Another one is if your child tells you you that they're bored, that's another, another time to say, oh, okay, yeah, I get bored sometimes too a pretty normal feeling Hmm. i don't just say anything else because they're telling you how they feel they're not if we take it that way maybe they are saying tell me what to do fix this for me but we don't want to fix anymore right we're getting out of that fixing business so just saying oh i'm sure you can think of something to do sweetie just leave it at that now all of a sudden the stress that hearing that causes you because you feel like you have to run and fix it. You have to run and come up with something for them to do. And we're not the entertainment committee for our kids. That's not part of the parenting job description.
0: Wow, that is really powerful stuff. (laughs) Because I do feel as though I have to be the fixer. I always have to be on. I always have to be the facilitator and the problem solver, especially between my kids. But what you're saying and what you're making me realize is that When parents do that, they're taking on more than they need to. The kids are bringing me into whatever their issue is, and I don't need to be there. Is that correct? Yeah, and not
1: only that, though, if you do get involved, you're taking that opportunity away from your kids to learn to problem solve. Now, sometimes you may have to jump in and say, hey, sounds like you guys are in a disagreement. What do you think is the best way to work this out? I mean, you can help them learn the skills involved without being the fixer. You're now being the facilitator to help them learn how to problem solve, which in almost everything we do, we are so results oriented. But if we think about this as the, we want to teach them the process and the results don't matter right now. The process of learning how to work out a disagreement is much more important than working out the disagreement right now.
0: You just took an awful lot off of my plate and probably a lot of listeners' plates too by just giving us permission to do nothing, right? And don't interfere. I love it. Let your children embrace boredom. Don't feel like you have to rush in every time they're bored with some new scintillating activity. I love it. I love just the freedom that comes with entertaining the idea that I don't have to be on 100% of the time. So thank you so much for that. Another strategy you talked about in the book that I want to talk to you about today because it is actually quite a minimalist strategy is you say to pick your battles as a parent. And I'm sure that most of us listening have heard that advice before, but in practice, we may not really know how to put it in practice. So this is a question I've always wanted to ask a professional, and I'm really happy I have you on the show today so I can ask you. In your professional opinion, what battles are worth fighting with our children?
1: Well, I like to start with the ones that aren't worth fighting for. You know, like I, I kind of hope that the ones that you really want to fight for are going to be far and few between, but we think we need to argue about everything with our kids. And I, I say, ask yourself the question, is my child going to get hurt if they do this? Are th- is there a potential for them to hurt somebody else if they do this? How big a deal is this? In the scheme of life, in the scheme of my household, how big a deal is this, right? And, you know, oftentimes it's like your kid wants to wear something or they want to eat something or they want to watch something or like, I mean, it, they're usually little things. And and I'm not saying do it to give in, but Think about before you say no or before you want to get into an argument about it, why does this really matter to you? You know, and if you give your kids some slack and some room here, you know, everyone's going to just be happier, you know, as long as it's not something that's that you, you know, feel very strongly about. And and what I like to say is I think it's every family should have rules. I'll never say what your rules should be you have to keep, you have to have some rules because kids need to know what they are. And so if the rules are important to you, if they're important enough to make a real rule, then those are ones that maybe you just, you have the battle with, or you just say to avoid the battle, you know what, that's our rule, remember? We have a rule about that, what's the rule? And have them repeat it back to you. And then you don't have to talk about it anymore.
0: It sounds like you're also saying to simplify the rules because if you get intentional with <laughs> the rules you have surrounding safety and you know values then then all the little the little fights almost fall to the wayside and <laughs> I'm thinking about a fight I actually just had with my three-year-old today she is going through a phase where she's refusing to wear clothes and I've been fighting with her about it because you know you should wear clothes but you're right she th- this is not a battle that I need to put so much stress and energy into right she's not gonna get hurt she's not going anywhere probably right <laughs> no
1: <laughs> why 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 if you have to wear clothes right? Say to yourself, why do do I care so much, you know, that she has to wear clothes? And part of that, I will venture to guess, is that if I let her not wear clothes now, she's not going to learn that it's important to wear clothes in the future. And we don't necessarily think that way. But in the back of our minds are, if I don't get my kid to sit nicely at the table right now, or I don't Get them to put on shoes all the time or this or that or whatever the things are. They're never going to know it as an adult. And that's 100% not true. So if your daughter's like, say, okay, fine. Okay. Knock yourself out, sweetie. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know where your clothes are. If you get uncomfortable, if you get cold or hot and you feel like putting on clothes, you know how to put on shorts and a t shirt. Go ahead. You know, and give, she wants control. This has so much to do with control, probably more than not wanting to wear clothes or wearing clothes. She just knows this is something she can battle with you about.
0: I know you have adult children, so you have the knowledge and the experience to answer this. But as a mom with two young children, I worry that giving her that control is going to just set myself up for bigger battles in the future. Is that incorrect thinking on my part?
1: Well, my experience and what I believe to be true is that if you allow your kids to have control over things that aren't going to hurt them and aren't going to hurt others, they're not going to need to take on the other control. They're not going to need to say at a certain point, oh, yeah, we'll watch this. You know, I think that if they feel That you respect them and their independence to, you know, every age has its own level of independence, their own level of thinking about things. But the more that you can allow your kids to make good decisions on their own and even some bad ones, like I think bad decisions are amazing because that's how you learn, you know, within the confines of of safety. and and values.
0: Hmm. I'd love to switch gear and talk about another tip that you mentioned in the book, which also just happens to be a tip that minimalists swear by, and it is to not overindulge. What is the problem with overindulging our children?
1: Well, I think on the one hand, you know, you, you set up this sort of entitlement thing, and I will say that's the one thing I really don't like in kids is entitled kids, you know, like mm-hmm. just having these unreasonable expectations that they're gonna get whatever they want. And, you know, if you start giving them, you know, a hundred gifts on their fourth birthday, they want a hundred gifts on their fifth, then their sixth, and their seventh, and so on. Um Indulging with activity, just with everything, even indulging with praise, I think is a problem.
0: Mm. Tell me more about that.
1: Well, I think that, you know, when we are constantly telling our kids how great they are, how beautiful they are, how talented they are, it sets up a situation for them where they no longer have any internal motivation, really, like the motivation to do well, and to look good is to get external praise, right? What we want is for our kids to look in the mirror and go, you know what, I'm awesome to make a piece of art and feel good about it, or not good about it, which is also okay, you know, but every time you see your child's piece of a piece of art, whether it's amazing or crappy our tendency to say well you're the best artist right I mean Mm. that's just like what we want to do and yet to me that's incredibly dismissive because you're just saying oh that's great and go away right but instead if we say wow tell me about that now we're like want to engage with them we want to know more about it. We're not saying it's good or bad or beautiful or ugly or anything. We're not giving any judgment. We're just asking to just tell me about it. I want to know more about this. I want to know why you picked those colors. That's the coolest shape. I've never seen a shape like that. What do you think you would what do you think that shape would be called if you could make up a name for that? right? I mean, there's
0: so many ways to engage your child
1: without having to say you're amazing.
0: Okay, this conversation is so enlightening. I feel like I'm doing everything wrong.
1: I'm not judgmental. There's no judgment. This is just a little learning. And listen, what you're doing and what most of us have done and do as, especially as mothers is to do that because we want our kids to feel good. This is counterintuitive. And that's why I think that my book is good is because it's so easy to read, you know, that literally like you pick it up, read one tip, put it down, you know, like it or don't like it. If you like it, try it, you know, work through that.
0: I loved that your book was so easy to read because a lot of times I feel as though parenting advice can become and feel heavy, but this was light and it gave instant wins every time you finished a tip. So... To anybody listening who wants to delve deeper in what we're talking about today, definitely check out the book. I will link to it in the show notes. But I need to talk to you about family dinners because you mentioned them in the book. And this is another tip that parents know is important, right? We've heard it before. Family dinners, you should have them. But why? How exactly do family dinners benefit our children?
1: Well, I think if if the family dinner is a nice, pleasant experience, which <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be, although many of us grew up sitting around the table and arguing all the time, um, and which may be a reason why some of us don't want to do it, but to me, it's the gathering of the family together and just talking is a really, really special, lovely thing, and Everyone can have their own questions that they want to ask. You know, you can start with Rose and Thorn. Like, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Or let's talk, let's each talk about something funny that happened today. Or, you know, name something that you experienced today that was really hard. And when, especially when you talk about like things that didn't go the way you wanted them to, and you're sharing that, the adults are sharing those experiences too, it shows your kids that that's normal. Not only that it's normal, but like, you're fine. You were able to get through that experience. And so instead of saying to our kids, don't worry, sweetie, it'll be fine. Don't be sad, it's okay. Which is what I used to do when my kids were little. We're saying, hey, this is normal and healthy. We all go through this. And yeah, that sounds like that was a really tough experience for you today. And good for you to be able to talk about it and having gone through it. So, I mean, that's one. listen, you know what? My kids who are now, my son's gonna be 21 next month. My daughter's 23. They both came home in the middle of March and my daughter went back to grad school in like three weeks ago. And we had family dinners from March until she left, I would say, every night except maybe five. (laughs) And to me, that was the greatest, greatest gift I ever could have had. I mean, to sit with my children every night and just relax and talk. And who knows what topics come up, you know? But it was just every time when they would be home and they would have one night with the four of us and we could sit down and have a family dinner used to be like the biggest deal for me. And now I had this like incredible experience. So I just think it's like, everyone's constantly, usually rushing and pre COVID you have activities and you have this, and it's the time for the kids need that unity, that feeling of unity with their parents. And so to sit down, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you can't do it. If you can do it a few nights a week, that's great. The more often, maybe you have breakfast together. Maybe now, you know, there are families where you have to take the shifts to work so that you can watch your kids and work at the same time. So you're taking turns. And maybe, you know, dinner time is a time where someone has to be on a a meeting call. And so maybe everyone can get together for breakfast. Or lunch if you're all home. Or Mm. a break and go outside and, you know, have lemonade and cookies and sit on a blanket together. Mm. Just some time where you're all together.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back to my own childhood. And those family dinners that we would have nightly, they weren't particularly, um, nothing stood out from them other than the fact that they were always really enjoyable. And I'm sure they were difficult for my mother to put on every night, working a full day, coming home, cooking dinner, getting everything set and sitting us all down. But again, they stick with me now as an adult. And so Applying that to our own households, it's these dinners, these times around the table without the screens, without the rushing to here, there, and everywhere that our children once grown will most likely remember. I'd love to shift gears again and talk about something that has nothing to do with dinner, which is your suggestion to schedule family donation time. Now, a lot of my listeners are big declutterers, so how would family donation time look for them?
1: You know, you can do it in a lot of different ways. I think the most important thing is that the message by doing that is, A, we don't need to hold on to so much stuff, number one, and number two, we can do some sort of act of kindness by making these donations and I'm grateful for what I have, but I want to give other people stuff that they may need and that I don't need anymore. That's in good condition. And so, I mean, I recommend, you know, if you're not used to doing this necessarily once a quarter, like there's spring cleaning, but there can be, you know, winter, summer and fall cleaning too. And while we may do it in a much more robust way, our children, maybe we say, you need to find three things that to give away that you don't want to play with anymore, that you're not going to wear anymore and put them in this basket. And we're all going to put stuff together in the basket and start it with one season and your kids are going to get used to it. And they're probably going to start giving away more and more stuff. But I think it's a, it's a great habit to Mm -hmm. get into. I, I just think it's really nice to have. And then, you know, take the stuff together, go donate it somewhere as a family. You know, so it's, you're getting like a lot of benefits from this little activity that you're doing every
0: quarter. Hmm. At what age do you think a child can reasonably choose three or so of their items to donate?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. And I'm not sure I can answer it exactly the way you want me to, because, you know, there are some three-year-olds who have a lot more Con, a bigger a, a ability to can have the concept of giving away things and others don't. I know that I think it's like eight years old is when you become less narcissistic. <laughs> it's when, it's when a child really starts to understand that there are other people need things, you know, and there are other people out there. And that's not narcissistic in a bad way. It's just in a child development way. And so I think, you know, you talk to your kids, talk to your three-year-old and ask her, you know, are there, do you think you could come up with three things that you don't really want to play with anymore? Or you can lay out, you know, a bunch of shirts and say, she, she made a dislike one, you know, and and just make it really easy when they're really young. Eventually they'll get the hang of it and they'll do it on their own, but they, they can still participate. Because you can pull out the things that you don't want them to have anymore or that you don't think that they like anymore or that don't really fit them anymore and lay those out and say, here, pick three things here so we can give, put in the donation basket.
0: Hmm. I love that. And I'm going to try it and I will report back. The final tip that I would like to talk to you about today is you suggest that in our homes, we replace chores with contributions. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, chores, like mistakes, <laughs> have a bad sound to them. That I think in a way, the definition of a chore is probably some boring thing they have to do all the time. Um, but in fact, there really are things that need to happen in a household. And why can't everybody take on a little part of that? responsibility and so to me you know emptying the dishwasher or helping to sort laundry for a really little kid those are family contributions you're an important part of our family and everyone who's an important part of our family gets the opportunity to contribute right it's all spin but it really is true also and having the opportunity to contribute as an important member of our family Is different than you have to do these chores. But it's just it's neg it's taking a negative and making it a positive.
0: Do you suggest giving an allowance for contributions? No. If you're part of the
1: family, you're expected to make family contributions. If you can do those family contributions, then You're probably old enough to learn about an allowance. But to me, an allowance is teaching about spending and saving and donating. You know, it's a teaching about money and the value of money and the value of making decisions about, do I want this? How important is it to me? How many weeks do I have to wait for this? Maybe I want this stupid little thing now. But, you know, the allowance also affords the parent to let their kids make some learn good decisions and learning through it, you know, maybe they'll be like, Oh, I wish I hadn't bought that. And the mm-hmm. next, and we don't need to say, well, you know, I told you that, you know, if you spent that, you weren't going to be able to get this. And instead it's like, okay, you know what? This is, again, we go back to the process, right? Mm-hmm. The process of learning about money to wait, you know, the joy of waiting for something. If you have, if you get everything all the time, right away, you don't get the joy of getting that thing that you were looking forward to for so long, right? Mm. It's that much more special, that anticipation. It's the same with, if we don't allow our children to feel frustrated, they don't get the joy of, of success, right? They don't get the joy of accomplishment. And so I think they're really, really, I think they need to be separate. I don't think our kids should be paid to do chores or the family contributions. That's just, you're a member of our family and you're important. And so we want to make you important here.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent place to leave it. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. But before we say goodbye, please tell my listeners where they can find your book.
1: My book is in pre-order on Amazon right now. Um, and the book is Parenting with Sanity and Joy 101 Simple Strategies. And you can also go on if you want to see a little bit more about the book on my website, which is the There's the my book section. And you can find out more about me on that site as well. And also follow me on Instagram, which is at The Parenting Mentor for, you know, more tips like this.
0: (laughs) Sue, this really was an enlightening conversation. And your book was also similarly enlightening. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And I wish you the best of luck with your second book. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Sue Groner over at The Parenting Mentor. I have gone ahead and linked to Sue's website, as well as a link to pre-order her new book if you are interested in this week's show notes. The show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 134. That's mamaminimalist.com forward slash 134. Now, really quick, before we go, a little story. (laughs) I had ordered something online and it did not show up. So I had to call the company and complain. And the experience, once I solved the problem with the customer service person and hung up and got the email to rate my service, the experience taught me that you and I likely only rate... Experiences, right? We only go out of our way to do that when the experience is bad. In very small situations, we might go out of our way to rate an experience when it is exemplary. But by and large, most of us are way too busy (laughs) and have way too much stuff on our plates to rate really good experiences or meh experiences. It's only the really bad experiences or sometimes the really, really, really great ones. Now, where on earth am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that I need your help. In order to grow this show, it needs your reviews. It also needs you to spread the word Via telling your friends. I'm asking you to do something free for me, please, from the bottom of my heart. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please go to your app, click the library tab, make sure you are subscribed to this show, and then on the library tab, scroll all the way down to the bottom past all my previous episodes, and you will see five stars. Please click on the stars that you think this show is worthy of. And if you are so inclined, if you have 30 seconds, please type a little note (laughs) in the note bar. I appreciate it. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, I still want to hear from you. If you listen on Stitcher, maybe you leave a review there. If you are on social media, perhaps you consider tagging me in a post or a story. And if you're not on social media, you don't listen on Apple or Stitcher, perhaps you simply tell a friend about this show. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for taking those 30 seconds to help spread the sustainable minimalist love. I will see you next week. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends.